This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Nadira Goff, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And I am here with Nadira. Nadira, hello. It's been so long since I've recorded with you. It's been too long. I've been waiting for this day. I'm happy that it has (laughs) arrived once more. We are back. It is here. It is upon us. And today is very exciting, actually. I'm really, really pumped for this episode. But before we kind of dive in, can I tell you about a weird event that I went to? Always. Okay. I went to Lincoln Center with some friends for this event put on by Netflix in partnership with the New York Philharmonic as part of like the promotional cycle for Maestro. Mm -hmm. But... Before I I really describe this event, have you seen Maestro? Because I haven't. I just like free events. (laughs) Yes and no. I'm like maybe halfway through, but I've been watching the movie in 10 minute bursts for the past perhaps like two weeks because I feel a sort of journalistic duty to finish it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of quality, Mm -hmm. questionable, very questionable. And that's what I've heard. Everything I've heard about this movie is at best mixed, and that's being quite polite. But, you know, Bradley Cooper was there and really kind of hammering home about this event with the Philharmonic. It was, it's experimental. He said experimental multiple times. And he was not lying because it was maybe the most poorly conceived and also expensive event that I've ever been to. So the idea is that the New York Philharmonic is going to be in conversation with the film, which sounds cool. You know, it's it's giving intersection of technology and media, which people love to sit at. But what it actually ended up being was um, random audio snippets from the movie, including dialogue, just random scenes playing over the speakers for one to two minutes, and then the Philharmonic comes in playing beautifully. As this is happening, there is a giant blank screen behind the Philharmonic. So as an audience member, you're sitting here like, is the screen broken? Yeah, because if you're playing scenes from the movie then I would, and you have a screen that's blank, I would expect the movie scenes to be played on the blank screen. Same. And everyone in the audience thought the same because halfway through, a clip finally starts to play on screen and the entire audience claps because we all thought this was an electronic malfunction that they had fixed. I was sitting here thinking like, wow, it's so embarrassing this is happening tonight. Like they must not have planned properly. Only for the screen to go dark again as audio snippets play out loud and we all collectively realize the blank screen is on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so baffled that I like don't even have any. Uh, que- I don't have question. I'm. I'm just. What was the? What was the point? Literally, I was sitting there thinking, how embarrassing as an event planner 
to sit here and realize that most of your audience thinks that the first half of your event is a technical glitch. It's also just really frustrating because I'm sure the New York Philharmonic is great. So good. And I love that for them. And I feel like classical music and orchestras, particularly the sort of city-funded orchestras, are a dying breed. They're losing funding. They're losing, they're shutting down. And this movie seems like it would lend itself to one of those crossover events really well because it's a biopic about a composer, a very famous composer. And so to have an event that's literally just one plus one equals two Mm -hmm. and to mess it up is like how... Yes. And the thing is, the New York Philharmonic was apparently very involved in the making of Maestro, or at least the conductor was. All to say, New York Philharmonic, phenomenal. 10 out of 10. So good. Also, there's something about listening to classical music in a live audience that really makes you sit there and think, this is one of the oldest human activities we can actually partake in Mm. in 2024. I just needed to share how I felt about that. I just, I needed the people to know that New York Philharmonic was wasted on an event. Thank you. I feel enlightened personally. Thank you. Thank you. But I also thought it'd be a good transition because we're kind of talking about debacles today. Um, I told you about one that you didn't know about. And now you're going to tell me about one that I didn't know about because I missed this. I, the host (laughs) of In Case You Missed It, missed it. (laughs) Well, listen. We're we're gonna fix it. We're Thanks fixing you. it. It is. It is. And the thing that I missed is two recent interviews on Shannon Sharp's podcast Club Shay Shay with comedians Cat Williams and Monique that went, I would say, mega viral. That feels yeah. fair. Mega vi. Mega vi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A friend kind of halfway explained to me what happened, and I still don't understand. So what I'm saying is, Nadira, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. After a short break, I'm going to be back with Nadira, and she's going to be telling me what went down in the club. Club Shay Shay. Hello there. I hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. We are so thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that's what ICYMI stands for. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to our Wednesday episode. Our most recent Saturday episode was a mailbag episode where we answered all of your questions about Taylor Swift's jet history and a $120 tote bag. You don't want to miss it. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. 
And we're back with Nadira. Okay, we are going to start at Club Shay Shay, <laughs> which is Shannon Sharp's podcast that he started during the most cursed year of recent memory, um, 2020. For our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with the particular appeal of Shannon Sharp, could you give a little background on who he is? What is his interviewing style like? Is he, you know, a Terry Gross? Is he a Charlemagne the God? Is he a Rachel Hampton somewhere in between? So Shannon Sharp is a former NFL tight end who, in terms of his NFL career, is best known for playing with the Denver Broncos. He's often referred to as one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Oh. He broke some records, but I won't get into them because this <laughs> isn't a sports podcast. The main thing to know is that the man was good at his job. He's like a three-time Super Bowl champion. He made it to the Pro Bowls and the All-Pro teams many times. And after he retired in 2003, he was inducted into the Pro Hall of Fame in 2011. And like many retired athletes, he then bopped around different networks and programs as an analyst or a commentator on sports radio and talk shows. He even had his own called Undisputed with Skip Bayless. So, you know, he's been around these streets. And for the past handful of years, he's been going viral for his sports commentary. And I will say the sort of necessary caveat here, which is he's generally considered a positive public figure, but he is currently involved in, I believe, two defamation suits. One of them was filed last year by his former partner. But these are still like contested things. It's just worth mentioning that they are happening. But as far as what's been confirmed and litigated or whatever, his history lends itself to a sort of perfect figure for a black celebrity interview podcast because he's kind of got a squeaky clean history as far as we know besides those two defamation suits and he's not too offensive though he's not not offensive he's just not too offensive Mm -hmm. Um, and you know people admired him as a football player especially as a black football player he's known to get animated or passionate about certain topics and he has a nickname (laughs) Uncle Shay Shay And I feel like maybe that's all I needed to say because, you know, when black people give you a nickname, Mm -hmm. it's like you're solidified within the culture now. You know, you have a personality, you're of a type, you know. So he's Uncle Shay Shay. So given his fame and his talents, he launches... Club Shay Shay, his podcast in September 2020. And it's a weekly show where he chats with notable figures. I'm talking everyone from gospel musician Kirk Franklin to comedian Cat Williams, as we will discuss, and even former wrestler Ric Flair. So he's talking to a lot of prominent figures in the Black community, though, as in the case of Ric Flair, not all of them are Black. Therefore, it's safe to assume that the majority of his audience is Black. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that many of his guests aren't necessarily at the top of their game or the height of their careers. A lot of them are retired or they've been maybe blacklisted by the industry or they haven't blown up yet. Or maybe like in the case of Steve Harvey, they're locked into, I don't know, some game show hosting job or whatever that makes (laughs) them like immune to scrutiny. (laughs) But his guests usually have a little more room to be honest and shady because they have maybe less to lose or have already, you know, lost a lot. And so I don't necessarily think he's the best interviewer. I think when he's interviewing a former NFL player or a current NFL player, he's a lot better because that's his wheelhouse. That's what he does. But when he's interviewing anyone else, he's kind of just like bopping around, asking sort of random questions. But it kind of works in his favor because he gets his guests to talk about fun anecdotes we've never heard, dishing tea about their beefs and their true feelings on, you know, the state of their industries now. But also maybe they'll touch on a personal scandal or two or actually reveal how they really feel 
felt about someone they were working closely with all these years ago. So it kind of works in his favor, even though he's not the most adept interviewer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you don't know Shannon Sharp, I guarantee you have seen him in a meme at yes. some point just because you've been on the Internet. And I love that about him. I love a man who loves drama because so many men say they don't like gossip. And I'm like, what do you think sports trading rumors are? But gossip. Exactly. You love gossip. And Shannon Sharp (laughs) is like, I know sports trading rumors and I know gossip and I know they're the same and I will do both. I love that. So Shannon Sharp, an actually very talented sports person, which is the technical word for what he does. It is sports person (laughs) who, as you said, like many of his sports people before him, has pivoted into a broadcast career, which includes Club Shay Shay. The vibe that I get from this podcast is girls bathroom at the club, but Shannon Sharp is there. Is that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) So smartly, the show has always had a video component, which is its most popular form by far. Um, Obviously, when it first started out, it was Zoom conversations because it was, you know, sort of height of COVID, COVID awareness and lockdown. But now he has an in-person setup and it's pretty like swanky, but also kind of hilarious to me where him and his guests sit on these fancy ornate brown leather chaise lounges in what looks like a super luxurious den living room and there's a fireplace behind them and there's a table in the middle and every single episode what's on this table is Shannon Sharp's luxury VSOP cognac, Le Portier Chez. And so the guests are sipping Le Portier Chez while they're having this discussion. And it's smart because it's product placement, but also they're actively drinking it as they're talking. Usually the guests will imbibe as they're talking. And the topics really run the gamut. For example, the headline to his interview with Steve Harvey, which is his third most watched video, is Steve Harvey on divorces, showering and bathrooms, importance of women, and daughter Lori. I would liken it to, again, the less offensive, though not not offensive, more entertaining version of The Breakfast Club. Mm. Though I will complicate this later on in the episode, but basically where instead of mainly rage baiting the Black and queer communities by asking wild questions to guests that are currently at the height of their career and have a lot to lose and are afraid to say something wrong, Sharp is just checking in with older legends and asking them for their sort of recontextualization of their history and their honesty. And what he does is he posts the full version of the conversation, which can usually range from one hour to three hours. Jesus Christ. And then he will post clips and highlight reels of the best moments. And here's the thing about this whole leather chaise lounge, cognac sipping, fireplace, we're cozy situation. Uncle Shay Shay is a sneak, okay? <laughs> he loves mess because he knows very smartly, what makes good TV. He knows what people want to watch because he's been an entertainer his entire career. And he tries to hide it, but if you really read between the lines of what he pivots into and out of and his responses, or if you read his body language or when he decides to laugh, he loves mess, as you said before. And he really sort of imbues that, I think, into the entire show. But to prove it, we need to talk about why we're even talking about this, which is the fact that Club Shay Shay has somewhat single-handedly set the tone in 2024 for spilt tea, mess, and general celebrity tomfoolery amongst the Black community. So, yeah, it's like it used to be this one 
podcast or sphere where, yeah, sure, celebrities talk. And now it's sort of solidified as there's the Shade Room, there's Complex's Instagram, there's the Breakfast Club, and there's Club Shay Shay. Like, that's where we are now. Beautiful. All right. So we're inside Club Shay Shay, right? Yes. We're sipping our drinks. Yes. We are wearing less and going out more. <laughs> and we are ready to see where the night takes us. Let's dive into what exactly happened this yeah. past month. When did this happen? And also what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so everything sort of popped off around January 3rd. And to really give you an idea of just how viral these two interviews with Cat Williams and Monique went... I can say that last August, Club Shay Shay was acquired by the sports media company The Volume in a multi-year deal. And at the time, according to The Hollywood Reporter, it had close to 1.25 million YouTube subscribers and more than 15 million views per month. A lot. Good. But mind you, that's growth over almost three years. We're talking September 2020 to fall of 2023. Now, just half a year later, it's more than doubled at 2.85 million subscribers and over 500 million views. In total. And I can't say definitively how much of a jump that fan base had just from January, but I can tell you that on YouTube, his two most popular videos are the Cat Williams video, which has 59 million views, and the Monique video, which at least at the time of recording has 12 million views. So a lot has happened since January 3rd. And on January 3rd, what happened was Shannon Sharp released his three-hour interview with comedian Cat Williams. For those who are unaware, you might know Cat Williams from his guest role in an episode of Atlanta's second season, for which he won an Emmy, or his sort of uh, smaller roles in films like Friday After Next, Scary Movie 5, you know, a whole bunch. If you are a fan of comedy or just a Black person born after, you know, like 1992, (laughs) then you have grown up Mm -hmm. watching him your entire life. And he's a really interesting figure. We don't have time to get into it, but he has a really sort of complex persona or personality Mm -hmm. or reputation, let's say. So, Sharp has Cat Williams on the show. Seconds after he introduces him. Not seconds. <laughs> seconds. Like, the first thing Cat Williams says after he introduces him is, the reason I had to come on is because you've made a safe place for truth to be told. And I have watched all of these low-brow comedians come <gasps> here and disrespect you in your face and tell you straight-up lies. And from then on, Rachel, from then on, it is pure fucking unmitigated chaos. Before the interview even finished premiering, like before those three hours were up, memes, jokes, and references were already flying all over the Twitter sphere. Incredible. And at the end of the day, this interview became so popular that SNL even spoofed it. So there's a lot in here. And... It's we're going to have to, you know, bop around. He immediately begins dishing tea about some things that other previous guests on Club Shay Shay have said and, in his opinion, allegedly lied about in their interviews. And there's so many good clips. But I want to skip first to a little ways in where Kat, who had just finished explaining that Cedric the Entertainer, another comedian, lied on a previous episode of Club Shay Shay about not having stolen one of Cat Williams jokes. In this clip, Cat Williams explains sort of why he's on the show. You don't think Sam's a good a good comedian? The world doesn't think that, sir. I have 12 comedy specials. He has four specials that are not available on Netflix or Tubi. It seems to me, Kat, that you had a lot to get off your chest. No, no. You wanted to set the record straight. Winners are not allowed to allow losers to rewrite history. 
I don't say any of these things if my name is not breached by these people on your platform. They, if you give them a liar a platform to lie, then I, I'm not being messy by saying, hold on, that never happened. It's untrue. And there are hundreds of witnesses for each thing I'm saying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would first like to say that you did such an impeccable job of describing this set. Thank you. I saw it for the first time. I really would like to reiterate, I know nothing about this. I am not coming to this like fake blind. I truly have not ever seen a clip of this podcast before. And it looks (laughs) like a Playboy room. (laughs) And there's just bottles of cognac in front of them. And that's stunning. That's A. B, Cat Williams basically is saying, you have allowed people to lie about me on your platform. And I will not allow that. And Shannon Sharp doesn't even really dispute that. And you can tell that he is giddy already. <laughs> yes! The way that he's just sitting there like, Cat, seems like you're here to set the record straight. <laughs> Bitch! Keep going. What's <laughs> okay. next? So, during this episode, Williams then goes on to make some of the wildest accusations you've ever heard. Like we said before, he says that Cedric the Entertainer stole one of his jokes. He said that Harvey Weinstein offered to perform oral sex on him in <gasps> front of his entire team at his agency. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot. The next thing, the next clip we have is a clip of him insinuating that Kevin Hart is an industry plant. In 15 years in Hollywood, no one in Hollywood has a memory of going to a sold out Kevin Hart show. There being a line for him ever getting a standing ovation at any well, comedy club. He already had his deals when he got here. Have we heard of a comedian that came to L.A. and in his first year in L.A. he had his own sitcom on network television and had his own movie? movie called Soul Plane that he was leading. No, we've never heard of that before that person or since that person. What do you think a plant is? Maybe people don't understand the definitions of these words. Maybe people don't understand the meaning of these words is an iconic line to say. There are so many iconic lines in this entire interview, and I think that that's a part of why it went mega vi, but you know, we still have a lot to go through, so I'm just going to keep trucking, and then we're going to get into sort of the cultural meaning of it all. Um, Okay, so he also, in addition to this, brings up Diddy's now publicly and legally outed sexual assaults, claiming that he turned down $50 million multiple times. It's unclear if he meant all of these times involved Diddy, but he turned down $50 million multiple times, um, I guess, to avoid partying with these people who obviously would want to take advantage of him. But one of my favorite bits of this interview, before I go into sort of the rapid fire other people that he talks about... Thank you. ...is him saying that he ruined Steve Harvey's stand-up career because he outed the fact that Steve's hair was fake (gasps) and that Steve Harvey stole material from another comedian, Mark Curry... And someone set his comments about Steve Harvey to the beat of Nas's song, Ether. Now Steve got a sitcom where he the principal and he wear a suit and he, and then he gets this high top fade, making all black men think he got the best lineup in the business. And it's a man unit. Then you ask him, why you not a movie star? I didn't want to be a movie star. This the same Negro that hated on Bernie with this same thing. 
I didn't want to be a movie star. No, you couldn't be a movie star. There are 30,000 new scripts in Hollywood every year. Not one of them asked for a country bumpkin black dude that can't talk good over Kaby and look like Mr. Potato Head. There ain't none. You would have to have a range. I played a lot of characters, 60 movie roles. I'm not playing Cat Williams in there. My God. Let's talk about the fact that Cat Williams is so clearly a performer. I'm like, oh, my man is actually so talented. Not everyone can command an audience like this. He is one of the funniest comedians working. You know, it, he has a staying power. He's one of the most successful Black comedians because he is genuinely hilarious. So just some other accusations, because truly this isn't even all of them. He alleges that Ludacris accepted a deal with the Illuminati, which is how Ludacris secured his roles in the Fast and Furious franchise. More on that later. He says Faze on Love, another comedian, isn't funny. He brings back up his past beef with comedian Wanda Smith. He even shades Joe Rogan, saying he won't be on Rogan's show because, quote, Joe got six comedians that never been funny that he want to push out. And he also shades comedian Chris Tucker, calling him Epstein Island Chris Tucker and insinuating some things about Tucker's friendship with Michael Jackson. But it's his delivery of some of these lines. Like, for instance, in the Chris Tucker bit, he says, quote, to be confident and not delusional is a real skill. And the delivery of these lines is, I think, what lends this interview to perfect virality standards because it's not all hellfire and brimstone in the right way. Cat Williams does say some unhinged, inappropriate things. There's a part where he's talking about Kanye West and he calls Kim Kardashian a whore for some reason. And for another reason I, that I do not know, he's deeply concerned with the number of men who have worn dresses in costume for comedic purposes. Oh. So like Tyler Perry, Ricky Smiley, Martin Lawrence, you know, all that kind of stuff. And at one point in the interview, Shannon Sharp isn't, like I said before, he also sort of has some traditional value. So he isn't necessarily innocent in all this either. He says that women want to be treated equally in some situations, but not all situations. And that was in regards to the Wanda Smith thing. So yeah, really sort of question mark, question mark, question mark. So like, it's not all great, but it's his delivery that truly made it memeable. And there are so many great moments, but nothing, and I mean nothing, compares to this one quote. Like it's my favorite takeaway of these full three hours. It is barely even a full sentence. And I love it so, so much. You having an unnatural allegiance to losers does not like you. You having an unnatural allegiance to losers is not like you. So naturally, a lot of people were in their feelings and took it yes. upon themselves to respond to Cat Williams' claims. Some of these people that he called out are actually comedians that Cat Williams has had long-standing feuds with. Kevin Hart is one of them. So Kevin Hart tweeted that his comments were sad. Cedric the Entertainer commented that Williams' comments were, quote, revisionist history, which is actually interesting because... Because in terms of the Cedric the Entertainer stole my joke thing, there are actual literal public receipts for some of those claims. So that revisionist history is interesting. My favorite response is Ludacris's response about the whole Illuminati Fast and Furious thing. And to preface this to this response that many tweeted about was some variation of... Cat Williams finally got Ludacris back in the studio. Whatever's heavy on my heart is always on my mind. Like Snoop's cannabis shredder, I'm always on my grind. They throwing shade because niggas could never take my shine. I bring my watch collection on my jet. Let me take my time. Like fine wine, I'm aging like Benjamin. Top five, I'm worth mentioning. Bring me rappers, I'm lynching them. See the pendulum swing, Jesus with diamond thorns. Ludacris swaddled in Gucci linens when I was born. Never been Illuminati. 
only a Illuminati and I only left with bitches when coming from any party. Now I'm married with kids, the evolution of life. Never been a clout chaser, never say shit for likes. R.I.P. John Singleton, you never have to flex when you earn every one of your Fast and Furious checks. Afro with the sideburns, yeah, that's my signature. Addictions on the rise, comedians check your temperature. Cat Williams has done so much for us as a culture. Because the fact that he gave us this interview, but again, also got ludicrous back, back in, the, in studio, the studio. I mean, we have been begging. Who the thunk? Screaming. Who the thunk? <sighs> wow. Maybe 2024 is actually going to be good. I need some time to think about this. I'm going to be honest. Because the thing is, there's more. This isn't it. There's no, somehow more to the story. <laughs> there is. So after a short break in which I consider the possibility of a 2024 ludicrous album, please. I'll be back with Nadira and the chaotic circus that is Club Shay Shay. And we're back with Monique, except not really, even though that would be an incredible get. And I would have so many questions about her flavor of love spinoff charm school that formed too much of my adolescent brain. Anyway, someone actually did book Monique, and that is one Shannon Sharp, host of Club Shay Shay and sports person extraordinaire. Nadira, how does Monique enter this chat? What is she wearing to the club? So, <laughs> so the Cat Williams interview goes viral, fires up all of Black Twitter for, you know, five business days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Shannon Sharp, after that interview, continues to talk to other people like rapper 21 Savage and Usher. Again, the show is weekly. But then on February 7th, Sharp drops his next viral interview with comedian and actress Monique. And this interview was also nearly three hours. And again, like with Cat Williams, clips of the interview began going viral before the episode even finished streaming on YouTube. And a part of this is that a lot of people see Monique's interview as a companion to Cat Williams' interview or an Mm -hmm. homage, if you will. And for one, it's because she was directly inspired by Cat Williams on Club Shay Shay. She says as much. But for two, these are two comedians who are friends, and they were both somewhat blacklisted from the mainstream Hollywood aspect of the industry for their honesty, their believed alleged honesty. But also, Monique sits down and does the same exact thing. She uses the space to, in her mind, air out some long hidden shit. So for those who are unfamiliar, Monique has had notably a really horrible time in the Mm -hmm. industry since 2010. She had this whole scandal during the promotional press circuit for the film Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, for which she won Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 2010. But it was the last major role that she had ever been in. After that, this narrative started to come out that she was difficult to work with. And this is because, as she tells it, she refused to do promotional work for the film Precious without pay, even though she wasn't contractually obligated to do so. She was still punished for it. Mm -hmm. Apparently, a lot of people believed that, I guess, at the time, maybe still now, that's just the way the industry works. But to push back against that, 
I'm sure that someone like Zendaya has all of this written out in her contracts and doesn't do a single thing that's not written in her contracts. So, you know, I don't know how true or not true that is, but because of the rumor that started to spread that she was difficult to work with, which she alleges was spread by Tyler Perry, who was a producer of the film Precious, and then sort of like co-signed by Oprah, who was another major producer of the film Precious. She has lost a lot of roles for the rest of her career, and she sort of has this chip on her shoulder. So she gets on Shannon Sharp's show. She gets on Club Shay Shay. She arrives at the club, passes the bouncer, and she sits down, and they're having this conversation, and obviously you know they're going to talk about it. And she alleges that there's a recording of a phone call where Tyler Perry admits to spreading that rumor about her. (gasps) Shannon Sharp says that he listened to it and corroborates that Tyler Perry said that he admitted some wrongdoing, right? So then Shannon Sharp leaves this open message to Oprah and Tyler Perry saying, if you want to come onto the show and tell your side of the story, please do. And Monique has this to say in addendum to that. Oprah and Tyler, I want to say I appreciate my brother Shannon Shaw for saying what he just said. And I want to clear something up. I'm not hurt personally. I'm hurt for our community. I'm hurt that y'all would allow yourselves to sit in something that you know that you've done wrong and not say anything. That helps us not. So brother Shay Shay have said, y'all come on on the sofa. Oprah, this liquor is good. Okay, and I understand you like cranberry and vodka. Okay, Roosevelt Cartwright told me you drink that you like. And, you know, he told me some other things with the drink that you like. Come on, Uncle Shay Shay. Let's have a conversation. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not hurt personally. I'm hurt for our community. To say that to Tyler Perry and Oprah specifically is like some real boss bitch shit. You know, standing on business. Okay, Monique. Monique talks about all the money that this move costs her, including the role of Cookie on Empire, which famously Taraji P. Henson played, which I didn't know that Monique was up for. She says, you know, Taraji, you did your thing with it, but allegedly she was supposed to have that role first. She also talks about Kevin Hart saying that there was a broken handshake deal between them because he promised to revive her popular talk show, but then allegedly took back that his word uh, without any reasoning or warning. She dishes on the origins of her feud with D.L. Hewley, who's another comedian. Uh, She goes over the time she sued Netflix for discriminatory pay practices, Mm -hmm. and she talks about how she still hasn't been fairly compensated via residuals for the successful sitcom she was on, The Parkers. Mm -hmm. But most notably, there are the moments she takes shots at two people. So she takes shots at Oprah again by alleging that the mega-famous Oprah, who was a producer on Precious, as I said before, was supportive of her decision to not do free press for the movie but then turned around and publicly shamed her by producing an episode of Oprah's talk show about Monique's history with sexual assault in which Oprah interviewed Monique's parents without Monique's permission. But then the clip that is most circulated around the internet is Monique's clip talking about Tiffany Haddish. So Tiffany Haddish gave an interview to GQ in 2018, and this was at the time when Monique was calling for a boycott of Netflix. And in the interview, Haddish says, my business runs different than her business. I don't live her life. I don't have that husband of hers. To which Monique on Club Shay Shay had to say this. And when I saw that, it's like, Tiffany, if you had a husband like mine, you may not have two DUIs. Mm. If you had a husband like mine, you may not be caught up in what looks like you could have been grooming a child. Mm -hmm. And I say all of that with no judgment. But when you speak about having a husband like mine, you open up the door. And I'm saying to you, if you had one like mine, 
you may not sit in these positions that you can't explain the next day. Right. Or it's a hard way to go. So once again. Well, she doesn't even have a husband, let alone like yours. Well, well, damn it. Now you said it. The man is cognac. Is a messy ass bitch, and I love him. He's the a way sneak. he said twice, not once, but twice. Twice, but she doesn't have a husband at all, and particularly not one like yours, Shanna. You a sneak, Uncle Shay Shay. What's good? <laughs> Truly a messy ass bitch, and yes. I am obsessed. It's incredible, and I'm just going to share this one last clip with you from the actual interview, just because it's my favorite point. It's not necessarily messy or tea. It's just a moment where Monique attempts to solve Shannon Sharp's dating problems, oh. telling him what he needs to look for in a partner. You better take your own ass and get somebody to love you. Damn, Mo! Now I'm looking right Let at y'all. Let me tell y'all what Shannon needs. Let okay? me leave my Let life. Let me tell you what my baby needs. He need him an old fat gal who no. can bake good cakes, make some smothered turkey wings, who gonna rub his feet at the nighttime, okay, and gonna have a sip of his cognac to make him feel better by himself when he come home at night. That's what Shannon needs. You don't need no 26-year-old girl. You don't need no 36-year-old girl. I this, don't. This is your auntie talking to you. Take your old ass and get your old bitch out there that can love you old. The absolute <laughs> way that everyone behind the camera was trying to keep it together and could yes. not. I think the best thing about Shannon Sharp's podcast and specifically these clips I've watched, now that I'm an expert, having seen approximately 10 minutes total, is that it feels a little bit like hearing your aunts and uncle and your mom and dad, like the generation slightly above you have conversations at family gatherings once everyone's a little bit drunk, where you're kind of sitting in and you're like, I'm too young to be a part of this and I know that. And I know if I say anything, they're going to kick me out. But if I sit in the corner really quietly, I can get the messiest possible gossip I will ever receive in my life. And I love that Shannon yes. Sharp has provided a forum yes. for this. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, one of my absolute favorite tweets in that vein about both of these interviews said, this interview and the one with Cat Williams feels like when you're old enough to start learning all the family secrets. <gasps> Which is very true. But again, like with the Cat Williams interview, it's not necessarily all hunky-dory. Yeah. So there are a few just really small moments of hmm in the interview. Like one is when it gets kind of confusing because Monique admits that she has been offered to audition for roles, but she's quote offer only, which if you're really invested in reviving your career, like yeah. girl, go pick up them sides and audition. Film that self-tape. It felt a little interesting to hear her mm -hmm. represent it that way. But then in the interview, she also brings up her estranged relationship with her oldest son, Shalon. Shalon then made a 10-minute viral response video essentially saying that Monique didn't do the best job as a mother, that she wasn't interested in being a mother to him mm. or generally until her new marriage with her current husband and her children from that marriage with her current husband and that her current husband had never really claimed her oldest son as his, which is kind of true. Like, they yeah. often mention in the past, as we've seen in press and publicly, that he has three sons which I don't know why he couldn't claim the, the fourth one, but sure. Um, and then Shalon also says that Monique is basically lying when she said that she's trying to do the work or has done the work to reconcile with him and that Monique mm. often gaslights his concerns about attention and emotion by, one, relying on responses from her husband to speak for her, and two, by basically 
saying or gaslighting him into thinking he's ungrateful because she's bought him a whole bunch of material things because she's provided for him in a material sense. And he says, quote, I love my mother very much, but my mother loved things more than she loved me. And she would validate her, quote, love for me by giving me things and would proceed to call me ungrateful or considerate if said things did not have the desired effect. End quote. So... She responds to that video, her and her husband, and she sort of does exactly what her son said she would do. She doesn't respond to any of his claims except saying, quote, let's let it play out. And she tries to have her husband explain why he doesn't claim him as a son. And it's because he was known as Uncle Sidney instead of his father. It doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. And then her husband takes the reins and talks throughout the entire rest of the video. And he lists all of these things that... Apparently, Sean didn't mention like half of the down payment that they helped him with for his car and the things that they bought for Shalon's new daughter. And it's like, yeah, these are the material things that he's talking about. You still haven't addressed the sort of emotional trauma that he mentioned. And so Shalon makes yet another 10 minute video calling oh out the hypocrisy God. of that video. Then Monique goes on her Instagram or one of her social media accounts and like posts old screenshots that are three years old that are trying to prove that she actually does have a relationship with him. But again, they're screenshots she posted without his consent. Yeah. They're three years old. And also she doesn't really say much in them. And then she also, her and her husband, sort of publicly tr- like out his struggles with mental health as a way to, I guess, invalidate his claims. And he makes a video about that. It's a mess. It's back and forth. I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> it's a mess. But it's important to say because... The next clip we have is actually a clip from comedian D.L. Hughley, who has had a long-standing beef with Monique. And he responds to both the claims about him in the video, but also this whole situation with Monique and her son. And this is what he had to say about it. Anybody out there, you can say yes to drugs, but say no to Monique. You talked about how um, my children, families are off limits. They weren't when you were running across Vegas. I mean, on the stage in Detroit, they weren't when you talking shit on social media. When you got your ass whipped and your tickets dropped, then they became off limits. But let's do this. Let's decide that you will treat my children like you treat yours, like you don't know them, invisible, like you have no relationship with them. Oh, my God. Another jaw drop for me. I'm really responding silently today because I am... It's unbelievable. Shocked. I think also what makes all of this so great is that most of the people we're talking about are definitely above the age of 45 to 50. And there is just this way in which I think they don't give a fuck. Yes. Yes. That people our age still do. Yes. And I love that. And I wish to get to that point. I want to not give a fuck in the way that clearly Monique, Cat Williams, D.L. Hughley, and Ludacris don't. I've never experienced anything like this. Old heads really do have the best drama. And I knew that. Yes. But this is really confirming to me. Unfortunately, yes. we are now at both the end and the serious part of this show where I have to ask the question that I'm sure everyone wants to know, which is, what does all this mean? Is this uh, good for the Blacks? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think in terms of catharsis, oh, yeah. honestly, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I think a lot of people had seen particularly Cat Williams and Monique as people who were slighted in the industry. And they had just been sort of champing at the bit to hear their real stories. And I think that they were really supportive of them 
airing certain stuff out. And particularly in the case of Monique, you know, she was so vindicated or in terms of how people saw her it was they saw her in a light of vindication they finally you know they said she's telling her truth she has this Tyler Perry voice recording that Shannon Sharp says he heard which did leak by the way so people were like wow we're so proud of her she's finally hopefully this is a turning point I'm glad she's finally setting the record straight and although Cat Williams is a little out of the box you know (laughs) off the beaten path a lot of people love him because he is so funny and a lot of the people he was talking about, some of them actually had a lot to say about him, but the one thing they didn't say is that he was wrong. So a lot of people were saying that, okay, maybe he is telling the truth. Maybe he does have some vindication, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing about Club Shay Shay is this happened in January. Q1 isn't even over <laughs> yet. Like, what? You're so right. We're maybe halfway through Q1 at best. At best. <laughs> it's February. <laughs> not even March yet. And this has already just devolved into such mayhem. And the thing about Club Shay Shay before is that as maybe boring as it was, honestly, depending on who was being interviewed, it was nice. It was tasteful. Mm. It was, you know, we're just going to talk about the things. And if you want to talk about the hard things that you've gone through in your past, then that's cool. Um, you know, but but it, it wasn't, it didn't devolve into mess sort of outside the confines of that Playboy Bachelor den room, you know. But now, again, what does it mean for us to have a Breakfast Club shade room, but involving drama from people of our parents' generation, Right? Like, in some ways, it's catharsis. And yeah, it's really fun. And I love mess. And I was squealing throughout this entire episode. But we've got to maybe find a better way to deal with our shit than this. I think that's such a good point. And there is a part of me that is like, this is all just kind of a big response to the death of Black media and the fact that there aren't really venues for these people to be interviewed by like real talented seasoned journalists. But then there's a part of me that has also started getting really interested in Truman Capote and what he did with his life. And that part of me is saying... We've always loved the drama of 50-year-olds. Yes, There's always been a deep human urge to know what people who are both more famous and more rich than us are doing. They were the society pages. And it used to be the Rockefellers and the Paleys. And now, for us, young Black millennials, we get Club Shay Shay. I get it. And a part of me thinks that's beautiful. I'm sure there are other long-term ramifications that other people explore in really smart pieces of cultural criticism. But as someone who's just now learning about this, I'm just going to say thank you, Shannon Sharp. Thank you, Uncle Shay Shay. All right, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That is the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a five-star rating and review an Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. It really does help new people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it at ICYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note with questions, comments, or concerns at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online. Or at the club.